Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, church. I am excited to get preaching this morning. Are you excited? Are you excited to hear what God has to say? I can assure you today, without a question, God has orchestrated this message. Now, when I started the series, Restoring the Image of God, I didn't forget about you guys. When I started the series, Restoring the Image of God, I I commented to those around me, and, and in the first message, I commented as well. I said, I have never been bombarded by God so much in my sleep and when I'm awake about preaching a particular message. And obviously, uh, as I preached the series, Restoring the Image of God, it impounded us, it impacted us, it, it, it just had all kinds of effects. And then we went into healing the soul of double-mindedness. And I said from the very first sermon that really these two series are connected. Well, the reason why I kept these guys up here for a moment is to use them as a witness I told you uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago that I had gone to the worship dinner that was hosted by Lydia and Joe. Lydia gives out these little cards and everyone's got a name and a verse on it and they have to say three things about the person whose name they got and then share on that verse. Well, I was not diligent like I should have been, and I only saw the name, and I didn't see the verse. And so I didn't have my card with me, and I noticed everyone was actually looking at their card and then talking about a verse on their card. And I said, God, I'm supposed to set the example. (laughs) And I didn't do what I was told to do. I didn't realize it. I wasn't actually told that there was a scripture, and if they told me I didn't hear it, shame on me. And uh, I said, God, give me a scripture. And this is what God said. He said, you remember the sermon in restoring the image of God that you never got to preach, you forgot? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, I want you to talk about that just in a few minutes. Just boil it down. So I got my phone and I looked up, where's that scripture, the key text? Where's that scripture? And I found it. And it's first, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. Now I'm going to ask you all a question. Don't turn there. But I'm going to ask you all a question. Do you know how many verses are in the Bible? It's not a rhetorical question. Does anyone actually know? Well, I didn't count them because I'm not that clever. But I Googled it. (laughs) When you want to look smart, you go to Bing or something like that, right? Bing. And there's over 31,000 verses. So I started to share on 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18, specifically. Verse 15 to 18. I was going to read 16 to 18. And as I started reading, I said, you know what? I'm going to start from 15. 15 to 18. The next day when I woke up, I feel like the Holy Spirit reminded me. He said, go check out the verse that you were supposed to share on. So I pulled this card out of my briefcase. Pastor Stephen, whose writing is this? That's definitely Lydia's writing. It's uniquely Lydia's, isn't it? Whose writing is this? 
since forever. And I open this card, and it says 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. I didn't just get one verse. She picked four verses consecutively, and I spoke on the very four verses consecutively. She heard from God, and I called her immediately that morning. I said, Lydia, Joe, guess what happened? They heard from God, and today you're going to hear from God. Because God orchestrated this. And I got to tell you, I can only hope that I get as excited preaching this message as I got, as God was downloading it to me last night and very, very early this morning. So how many of you want to hear the word of the Lord? <laughs> yeah, amen. It's God's word, not my word. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your support. We're going to jump straight into the word of God this morning. And no, I'm not turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18. We're going to work our way up to it. And here we go. My, my sermon title this morning is the mirror image of God, the mirror image of God. And uh, <clears throat> we started with a series called Restoring the Image of God. Now, I want you to understand something. I don't, I don't, I don't gra take these sermon series from somewhere in a book. I don't go online. And uh, so what I'm saying is they come out week by week. I don't know what's going to come out. And week by week, God shows me what to preach. Really, in many ways, my preaching is prophetic, not that it forecasts what's going to happen, but it is the word of the Lord. They are prophetic messages. I spend a lot of time praying, God, what do you want to say to your church? It's your church. What do you want to say? And I come here every Sunday, not with the word of Rob Scarallo. I trust I come here every Sunday with the word of the Lord. How many of you feel like you received the word of the Lord? Amen. And so this verse today, and I, I, I'm saying all this to say, all of a sudden today, this is all going to tie it up together. The first series and the last series. And as I was writing this out last night, as the Holy Spirit was downloading to me, I was amazed at how this sermon gets concluded in here. The next sermon gets concluded in here. The next sermon, the next series, and that sermon gets concluded in here. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. You know what gobsmacked means? It's like, wow, that... That was really good. <laughs> I didn't even practice that. I was gobsmacked. It was like, whoa. In fact, at one point last night, in all honesty, I raised my hands and I just started weeping. In fact, I grabbed my head. I said, oh, God. God, I, whoa, 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 whoa. And tears were running down my cheeks as I saw how God orchestrated this whole series of thoughts and messages, and I had nothing to do with it but to walk by faith one sermon at a time. 
Are you ready to come on this journey with me? Let's see how God's going to wrap this all up. Praise God. Amen. Amen. You know, when I started the series, Restoring the Image of God, I started, my very first text was Genesis chapter 1, verse 26a, the, the, the first part of the verse, and then verse 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, and he, ma- uh, he created them, male and female, he created them. And as I always do, I went to the, in this case, the Hebrew dictionary, and looked up this word image, and the word image is teslam, teslam. And uh, <clears throat> it said there in the definition that this word is an unused root word which actually means to shade. How many of you remember I shared this? Just vaguely, right? And I made a personal note. Shade is always the shadow of an object. You can't have shade unless there is an object that is casting the shade. It could be a tree. It could be a house, it could be a fence, but you don't have shade unless there is an object that is casting the shade, and the shade is always in, uh, uh, is always, sorry, the shade is always the resemblance of the object that has cast the shadow. So God made us in his shade. He is the light and he created a shadow, an image that represents him. Awesome, absolutely incredible. A shadow is never the exact representation of the object, but it is always in this similitude of the object. God didn't create man to be a God, but God created man in the image of God. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be great if the whole earth was transformed and every individual and every human being was restored back to the glorious image of God? Wouldn't this be heaven? Absolutely. I went on to say this is a God principle. God ordained, God destined that man should be in the image of God. It's a a God principle. It's man's destiny. You cannot alter that. It's like, and I shared this example, it's like gravity. You cannot change the law of gravity. With gravity, you have the laws of aerodynamics. And when you culminate these laws and abide by these rules, you can actually experience flight. And man learned how to fly. You cannot alter the rules or the principles of God, but you can take the principles that were meant to be wonderful and you can distort their use and use them for evil or you can use them for good, but you cannot break or change the principles of God. Are we in agreement? Absolutely. So it was God's principle that man 
was God's destiny that mankind should reflect him. For Satan to corrupt the image of man. We were created in his likeness. For Satan to bring man down, for Satan to corrupt the image of man, he had to corrupt the image of God in man's soul. And that's exactly what he did. He got in the garden. And he started whispering in Eve's ear. He started whispering in Adam's ear. I don't believe Adam and Eve necessarily fell the very first time that the enemy came to them. I think he was wearing them down and wearing them down and wearing them down. Here's Adam and Eve. Every day they were in the garden with God. God walked with them in the cool of the day. But little by little, this negative thought, little by little, this negative accusation, little by little, the pointing of a finger. And finally, Eve took in the whole conversation and Adam was right there alongside of her. The Bible says Adam was right there. Now, Adam should have stood up in the image of God that he was created in and said, Hey, stop talking to my wife. God created me to be the protector. And too often, the same curse and the same sin, the same negligence of Adam in the garden is the problem with Christian men in the church today. This is a good time for the women to be silent and the men to say amen. It'll go down better. <laughs> you know when Paul said women should be silent in the church? He has a good time. <laughs> I believe that was a very cultural statement. Uh, but yeah, men, we need to rise up and be men of God. I thank God that the women have often been women of God. They have been intercessors. They have been worshipers. They have been so actively involved in the church over the years. You usually have a preacher and then a whole heap of female volunteers. And that needs to change. Do you know that by that alone, 50% of God's army is AWOL? Tell me that's not a good strategy. If you're the enemy, tell me that's not a good strategy. And you and I as men, young men, teenagers, adult men, married men, single men, we need to take our place and we need to fulfill the image that God created us to be in. Can I get an agreement? Satan understood that to corrupt the image of man, he had to corrupt the image of God in man's soul. The soul, the realm of your mental intellect, your mind, your reasoning, your logic, your memories, and the mind of your emotions. And so he didn't just make suggestions to Adam and Eve. He made suggestions with an emotional bar. An emotional dig. Did God really say you can't eat? And once they go through the whole conversation, go, oh, that's right. You think you're created in the image of God. But God knows that if you eat from that tree, you'll really be like him. I should know. 
I existed before your before. It wasn't just information. It was information with an emotional barb. And the minute you swallow the information, you've also taken hold of the emotion. He understood that to corrupt the image of man, man was put on earth to be God's representative, to reflect God. He was here to be a ruler, to be a leader, to be a, a representative of heaven here on earth. Listen, Jesus doesn't stray from that. When he taught the church how to pray, he said, pray, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, where are the sons of God? Where are the men of God? Where are the women of God? The image of God needs to stand up in a broken world that's filled with darkness so that we can reflect the power, the wonder, the beauty, the love and the majesty of a great God. When Adam, who was created in the image of God, believed in a corrupted image of God, he fell, and the image of who he was created to be became corrupted too. You see... If the principle is that man was created to reflect the image of God, then when we defile the image of God, we've defiled the image of who we're meant to be. When Adam, who was created in the image of God, this is too good to let it go, believed in a corrupted image of God, he fell from the image of who he was created to be, and he became corrupted too. Listen to this. They're going to put this up on the screen. Yeah, this whole sermon is going to be one big Kodak moment. So if you want, you can take your camera out and be capturing those. But you can also get it on the church website, look up sermons, watch this again. Because all through this message, I'm going to give you one zinger after another after another by the Holy Ghost. God just kept dropping these in my spirit last night. And I want you to get this. Here we go. Here's the next one. It says, you can't, you can't destroy the image of who God is without destroying the image of who you were created to be. You see, Adam allowed the devil to pee in his ear. you drink enough urine, it'll kill you. He allowed the enemy to whisper in his ear over and over again. He allowed the devil. The same way Adam didn't stand up and say, stop. Don't mess with my wife. The same way he didn't do that, he didn't stand up and say, stop. Don't mess with the picture of my dad. You see, when you allow the enemy to whisper in your ear and because of his instigation, you pull down the image of who you see God to be, you've given the devil the right to pull down the image of who you're destined to be. 
Can I get a, a few more amens? I know you're thinking deep today. I know it's hitting you between the eyes. But listen, this is why it's Satan's strategy. He makes things blow up in the middle of the road, and the first thing he does is he points ten fingers to God, and he says, if God was good, why did that happen? And then he goes along, you know, and he sees that the door, he hears a hand on the handle. He says, I got them thinking. And so he does another thing, and he drops a bomb here in the middle of your living room. And he again turns and he says, if God is good, why did God let that happen? And he hears the door handle start to squeak, and the hinges start to squeak. And he knows he's got his foot in the door. You see, the enemy's design is to change our image and our understanding and the picture in our heart of who God is. Because if you give him the right to affect your picture of God, you have given him the right to affect the picture of your destiny. Oh, praise God. It's going to get better. You see, the judgment that Adam made about God became the curse he has worn ever since. All of humanity has a fallen, sinful nature because we were born into the likeness of the first Adam. And the judgment that Adam made about the image of God affected the destiny of all of humanity. The reason why it's so important to restore the image of God in your soul. Every time I say heart, every time I say soul, I'm talking about your reasoning, your logic, your belief systems, your memories, everything to do with that intellectual side as well as everything to do with your emotions. The reason why it's so important to restore the image of God in your soul is because the image of God that you behold him to be will transform you into the image you're meant to be. You see, this is, this is why I allow the worship team to worship. This is why we sing. This is why we encourage enthusiasm and excitement. Because as with our praises and as with our worship, as we are holding up the name of the Lord, as we are glorifying God, as we're singing, as we're clapping, as we're dancing, as we're toe-tapping, as we're shouting, as we're getting excited in praise and worship, and we're giving glory to God, the way we give glory to God, the glory of God starts to affect us and transform us back into the image that we were meant to be in from the beginning. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it again. The reason why it's so important to restore the image of God in your soul is because the image of God that you behold him to be will transform you into the image of who you were meant to be. Listen to this psalm. I've never seen this before. Listen to this psalm. 
God caused me to come across this psalm last night. I've, I've never noticed this. I've never preached this before. Listen to what the word of God says. Psalm 115, verse 4 to 8. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. They have noses but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. The image of the God that you create is the image you will be bound to. And when we allow the enemy to transgress the image of God in our heart, in our soul, in our understanding. It is the beginning of our own downfall. It is the beginning of our own demise. You can't destroy the image of God without destroying your destiny. So Psalm 115, David actually says, they become like the image of God they've created in their heart. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. That is a powerful confirmation and a powerful principle. I want to restore the image of who God is in my heart. You know, I've been preaching all these years, and the enemy still tries to blow bombs up around me. And I still hear a little voice. Sometimes he knows how to trigger something so it gets to my emotions. There are flesh wounds and then there are emotional wounds. And it's the emotional wounds that really get us and they tug on us. People can bite, people can scratch, but when they get to our emotions they actually start to control us. Hello? Yeah, absolutely. And so there are certain bombs that go off around me that they get to my emotions. And immediately I hear a voice casting a negative image about God. I'm no different than you. And you're no different than me. And the devil knows how to rob us of our destiny. And the best way is to falsely accuse God in the hopes that we will buy into it. And when we allow the image of God to be cast down by the enemy who's peeing in our ear, we've given that same enemy the right to pull down the image of our destiny. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Watch this. Come on, we're going to get to some good stuff. Are you ready for some more good stuff? Come on, everybody say, bring it! Say it louder, bring it! Here we go. While you can't fabricate the image of God, Psalm 15 talked about the fact that they made images of gods with their hands. While you can't 
make God whoever you want him to be. While you can't fabricate the image of God because he is the great I am that I am. We can never change the reality of who God is, but we can corrupt the image that we see and the image we were determined to be. So let me give you a story. Let me prove this to you by the example of a man. I'm going to talk about Abraham for a minute. And Abraham and Sarah, God had promised them that he would give them a child. And that through this child, they would become the parents of many nations. The only problem was Sarah, as beautiful as she was, everybody wanted to get a hold of Sarah. Uh, you know, Abraham journeyed through the, the country and one king after another wanted to take Sarah at his, at, as his own wife. She was a beautiful woman, but she was fruitless. She was barren, the Bible says. Now Abraham had grown old and his own body had lost the ability to produce. He was now like a dead man walking. But God had said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child, you and Sarah. Abraham took matters into his own hands with his wife's advice, and he went and he slept with his wife's handmaiden and caused a huge problem that we're uh, still paying a price for today. An Ishmael is when you jump ahead of God, you don't believe God to do it, so you're going to do it. That's an Ishmael. Everybody hear me? Turn to somebody. Come on, turn to someone now and repeat after me. An Ishmael is when you jump ahead of God. You take things out of God's hand because you think you can do it better. That's an Ishmael. And you will pay child, uh, what's the word? Child support for the rest of his grown adult life. Amen. Yes, you will. So Abraham, but here in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it's, this is what the apostle Paul says about Abraham. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith. You know what faith is? Faith is your picture of God. How many of you remember me preaching those sermons? Faith is your picture of God. And the Bible says that even though the promise didn't come to pass, Abraham did not waver through unbelief. He didn't get double-minded in his soul. He uh, instead was strengthened in his picture of God. And he gave glory to God. He didn't allow the enemy to speak in his ear and tear down the image of God because that absolutely would have torn down the image of Abraham's destiny. You see, Abraham knew, I might have run out of steam. Sarah may never have had the steam. But if I hold on to the image of God, the devil can't take the image of my destiny away. He was strengthened in his picture of God and he kept giving glory to God, giving glory to God, fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. You see, Abraham protected, Abraham restored, 
Abraham nurtured the image of God in his soul, in his mind, his logic, his reason, his belief systems, even his memories, and he allowed the image of God to remain sweet in his emotions. He believed God was a good God. You see, when I preach the whole series on restoring the image of God, even this amazes me. That I kept telling you the theme verse through this whole series is Hebrews eleven six, that anyone who comes to God must believe that God is, and that He's a restorer, uh, that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know what that is? It's a requirement that you restore the image of God to line up with who God really is. If you're going to come to God, you got to believe he is, and you got to believe he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here's Abraham hanging on to the image of God, even though his body's telling him that he's as good as dead now, even though the circumstances of his marriage are telling him it'll never happen, it'll never happen. And because he held on to the image of God, we just read verse 20. Look at verse 21. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. When Abraham restored the image of who God is in his soul, he went from being a dead man walking to being the father of many nations. Hallelujah. You see, his destiny came alive. His destiny came into being because he wouldn't let go of the image of who God is. Isn't that a powerful thing? You guys sound like you're getting tired. I should be getting tired. I'm the one who's huffing and puffing. Interesting. Abraham gets over his depression, gets over his mistakes, gets over his Ishmael's, comes back to God, repents, and restores the image of God in himself. Even Sarah. Three, three angels appeared, and they said, Abraham, this time next year, Sarah will give you a son. And Sarah laughs in the tent. And the angel of the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah knew she was caught. So you know what we do when we know we're caught? We lie. We'd rather not face the blame then take the responsibility to change. We'd rather not face the blame than take the responsibility to change. But the Bible tells me in the book of Hebrews that even Sarah had a change. The Bible says that Sarah conceived seed because she judged him who promised to be faithful. Her sarcasm, her sarcastic laugh turned into tears of joy. And in the end, Sarah said, all who hear of my story will rejoice in the Lord with me. <laughs> you see, Abraham restored in his soul the image of God. And God restored the image of Abraham back to a position 
of righteousness. The Bible very clearly says that is the sole reason why it was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Because he restored the image of who God is back into his heart. And God said, Abraham, with all your flaws and all your faults, the fact that you won't let the devil knock my image out of your heart, your faith is granted to you as righteousness from me. You see, when we restore the image of God, God will restore back into us the image of who we're meant to be. Come on, turn us on and say, that is good preaching. That is good preaching. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to give you another example from the Bible. I want to talk to you about God the Father and God the Son. See, the Bible tells us that God became flesh and he role-modeled the image of a son. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And nothing that was created was created without him. Remember God, Elohim, in the Hebrew, in Genesis, said, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, and the Word spoke out the will of the Father, and the Spirit of God brought it into being. You see, the Holy Spirit is the transformative power of God. Yeah, He'll create something out of nothing. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. That's what he did in Sarah's womb. That's what he did in Abraham's loins. When we get the image of God right, now we've put the Holy Spirit back in the picture, and God will put us back into his picture. Amen. Amen. So God the Father and God the Son, God became flesh, and he role-modeled the image of a son. And that son was the exact mirror image of God. Everybody say mirror image. That son was the exact mirror image of God. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The son is the radiance of God's glory. Everything that is phenomenal and fantastic about God, the son is the radiance of all of God's brilliant attributes. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now stop. Why? Why is it so important for God to role model the image of a son and make that son a mirror image of who he is? He did it so that whoever believes in the mirror image of God, Jesus Christ, is born again into that mirror image of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The same way Adam lost the image of God and he lost the key to his destiny, God came forth as a man and he role modeled what a son is supposed to look like. He role modeled what the first Adam looked like before the fall. 
And when you and I believe in that image of God, Jesus Christ, when we accept that image to be God, when we allow that image to come into our heart, into our lives, when we reinstate that image of God as priority in our lives, we are born again into that mirror image of God through Jesus Christ himself. Hallelujah. You see, it's not just about my sins being forgiven. It's about everything that was wrong with me coming right with me. Hallelujah. It's not just about getting a free pass so I don't have to go to hell and I can go to heaven. It's about being reinstated into the destiny that the first Adam forfeited. It's about being reinstated back into the, the halls of God's greatness. It's about being reinstated to my purpose. It's about be re, being reinstated to the vision and the dreams that God has about me and he has about you. Somebody give me an Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. When you accept that image of Jesus Christ and you accept it to him to be your Lord and Savior, you are born again into that image. Listen to me. Let me, let me ask you all a question. The first Adam sinned and the judgment he made is the curse he wore. And every one of us wore that curse at one time because we were sons of the first Adam. Can I get an amen? So let me ask you a question here. Lynn, the first Adam sinned 6,000 years ago. His nature fell 6,000 years ago. He got a sin nature 6,000 years ago. When do you get a sin nature? The moment you were physically born into this world or when you die? When you were born into this world. Oh, Mar, I'm going to ask you the same question. You can disagree with her. You're just not allowed to disagree with me. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> when the first Adam sinned 6,000 years ago, and 6,000 years later, you were born into this world. When did you inherit a sinful nature? When you were physically born in this world or when you died? Soon as you came into this world, you had the same sinful nature he had. Then explain this to me. Why is it when the church is born again into Jesus Christ, we think we're going to get the image of Jesus Christ when we die and go to heaven? You see, when we believe that, we have given greater power and authority to the fallen Adam than we give to the resurrected last Adam. Most Christians live under just the revelation of forgiveness of sins. And we wait to get to heaven to be transformed. But if the first Adam made us sinners the moment we're born, then the last Adam made us righteous the moment we're born in Jesus Christ. Yes! Come on, if you believe it, jump to your feet and give the Lord a shout! Yes, yes, 
Yes! 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 Doctrines of demons in the church have robbed you of the fullness of your salvation. I'm not just forgiven. I am reinstated. Hallelujah. Shall I say it? Good preaching, Pastor Ross. Let me prove it to you from Scripture. Are you ready? Does it make sense? Let me tell you something. God always makes sense. 20, 30 years ago, I coined the phrase, the more illogical a situation is, the more evidence of demonic activity. Truth, truth, and logic go hand in hand because logic is always submissive to the laws and the principles of truth. But confusion is always illogical because the laws and the principles of truth are now in disarray and they are out of divine order. So confusion is always illogical and truth is always logical. Think about it. It's amazing how many things will become a revelation to you when you read the word of God, when you realize God is logical. It's that very understanding that when I read something, I don't settle with, okay, well, I'll just believe it. I don't get it. No, I start digging. And I say, God, weave it together for me because nothing's more logical than you. There is no greater sense of order of thought. That's why you are the truth. Put it together for me. Amen. So, listen to this. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I just finished saying that if you believe in the image of Christ and you accept that image, you are born again into that image. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things or everything has become new. For God made him, Jesus Christ, the Exact mirror image of God. For God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin. In having no sin, he was the exact representation of God. Okay? God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, the mirror image of God, to be sin for us so that we can be the righteousness of God in him. See, everything I've been telling you, why did God become flesh? Why did he role model the role of a son? 
Because on that son, he put the mirror image of who he was. The same way he did in the garden, he put the mirror image of who he was on the first Adam. And the first Adam blew it. So God says, I'm going to come to earth. And I <laughs> will model the role of a son. And on this son, I will put the mirror image of who I am. So that if anyone will accept that image, if they exalt that image, if they say, Jesus Christ, be Lord in my heart, Savior in my life, when they restore the image, the mirror image of who I am, I will restore the image of who they were meant to be. And so we see it here in 2 Corinthians. Anyone who is born again is a new creature, a whole new creature. Everything is made new. Verse 21, for God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be the mirror image of God. And in being the mirror image of God, he became sin so that we could become the very righteousness of God in him. The Bible verse doesn't say you become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know why it doesn't say that? You become the righteousness of God. If you became the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you'd be the mirror image of a mirror image. God made you the mirror image of who he is. I'm not the righteousness of Jesus. I'm the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Whoa. Deep, deep, deep. You say, well, what, what, what does this mean other than just getting excited? What it means is that my whole nature has changed. And everything at my and my dad said pretty positive things about me, but every negative thing that anyone has ever breathed over my life, God has wiped it away. And the spirit of that breath, which was meant to destroy me, God turned into the spirit of his breath when I accepted the image of Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean that I am the righteousness of God? It means I don't have to sin, I choose to sin. I hear Christians that counsel all the time, well, I can't help it. Oh, yes, you can. Wake up, sweetheart. Wake up, buddy. Yes, you can. Why? Because I'm not bound by a sinful nature. I have been redeemed back into the image of my Father. Hallelujah. Amen. I have never seen a bottle of alcohol jump off the the store shelf and attack me and throw me to the ground and unwrap the little topper and uncork itself and shove it down my throat. No, the devil needs me to come into agreement before I can sin. I am the righteousness of God because of Jesus. In other words, I have been reinstated to everything the first Adam lost through Jesus Christ. You see, the first Adam was created with a sinless nature. Did that mean he couldn't sin? No, it meant he wasn't bound to sin. 
He had a free will. He could choose to sin or not to sin. I've been reinstated. I'm not bound to sin. Oh, I can't help it. Oh, yes, I can. Devil, you're a liar. I'm not saying that anymore. You're a liar. You want to defile the image of who I am. I have been reinstated back into the image of my Father's glory. I am a new man. Behold, everything is new. Didn't you read that, devil? You think I didn't read that? The Bible says if anybody is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. In the Greek, it actually reads he is a new species. He is of a brand new kind. I am son of man and son of God. Hallelujah. They knew Jesus as son of man and son of God. And this son is a son of man, but he is son of God also. Hallelujah. See, the devil takes you down by what you don't know about who you are. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I got saved by grace. But that's not who I am now. Now, I'm a living, breathing, talking, walking son of God. Come on, give the Lord a shout. I didn't even get to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 yet. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The mirror image of God. Watch this. The mirror image of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 15 to 18. But even to this day, 15 to 18, everybody say 15 to 18. This is what God wants you to hear because this pulls it all together. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is deliverance, there is healing. The captive is set free. But we all, everybody say we all. You just got baptized into the southern states of the United States of America. We all. I never thought that me as a New Yorker would ever say, y'all, we all. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. When I'm reading the word of God, I am seeing the reflection of my father. When I am looking in the face of Jesus, I am seeing the reflection of my father. When I start to dress myself with the word of God, I am looking in the mirror of who God is. And we all, as beholding in a mirror the glory of God, at the same time, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, which is by the Spirit of God. Yeah. 
That's why I can do all things through Christ in me. Who am I? I have been reinstated to my destiny. Who am I? I'm like my father. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Who am I? I'm a person of integrity. I am a person of no compromise when it comes to moral standards. Who am I? I am a man of my word because I am first a man of his word. Come on now. Are you hearing me? You see, if you allow the enemy to rob you, if you allow the enemy to desecrate the image of God in your heart, if you allow the enemy to dance and sing with you, why did God this? And why does that God? And why doesn't God ever do this for me? If you get into that valley, if you get into that death trap, if you let that demon sing his song and you don't slap him in the face and kick him in the butt, then he will have permission to tear you down. But through the blood of Jesus, everybody say the blood of Jesus. My redemption has been bought. I am redeemed, I am cleansed, I am sanctified, and I am set free. Yes, amen. Yes, exactly the way he said it. You see, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 to 18, church, God wants you to understand. You see, as we restore the image of God and we look into the image of God, the Spirit of the Lord starts to transform us into the image of God. This is the verse that Lydia had for me that I didn't read. And when I sat in her house and I said, oh God, give me a verse. This is the verse he said, preach this, that you didn't preach. And then in the morning he said, now check the verse in your briefcase. Same verse. And this is the verse that brings restoring the image of God and healing the soul of double-mindedness together. Because as I behold in the mirror the glory of God, in the image of God that is now restored in my mind of intellect and my mind of emotions, and in the mirror of God's word as I look at God and I read the promises of God, as I hold that image true to the originality of who he is, the Spirit of the Lord starts changing us from glory to glory. And he keeps mapping us out. He deals with this character issue and he deals with this blemish from the past that's still a throw over from the last Adam. And he starts breathing on it. He starts massaging it. You know how you get a tasty piece of steak? The Japanese massage their cows so that they feed them well and they massage them so that they get a lot of fat. And then when you cook that sucker, it just makes the meat so juicy. And so when you are restoring the image of God in your mind and you are looking into the mirror of his word and you're seeing the beautiful, glorious, wonderful things about God and as the word says it, you're saying it yes in your mouth because you're saying it yes in your intellect and yes in your emotions. The 
Spirit of God gets around you and he goes, here we go, buddy, blast off. I'm pouring on you the very image you've credited God with and the very image you can say yes and amen to mentally and emotionally. The judgment you made is the blessing you wear. Hallelujah! When Sarah judged God to be faithful, she received supernatural power to conceive seed. The judgment you make, the right judgment you make about God is the blessing you receive. And so... This last series, I've been preaching on restoring the soul of double-mindedness. And I've talked about how David did this and uh, how David would inform from his intellectual mind, he would inform his emotions about facts of God. You see, let me follow my notes. Step one, you restore the image of who God is back into your belief systems. If you haven't done that, you can't go past step one. I don't mean to be harsh or critical, but some of us and some who are watching online have had devastating childhoods And I am not making light of any of these things. And the very man or the very woman that was given to you by birth, that was meant to protect you, abused you and desecrated you. But the enemy understands that the principle were meant to be a reflection of God, so he takes broken people. And when broken people break us, the devil knows it casts an image onto the image of God. And so... When we're wounded, we hear that devil blaming God. And sometimes it's subconscious, sometimes it's very conscious. But we have to rifle through our past and rifle through our emotions and listen to ourselves. When when our nerves are touched, when our emotions are touched, are we saying, God, why'd you let that happen? God, if you really love me... And we need to hear ourselves deep down in the realm of our emotions. And when we repent of allowing circumstances and demonic entities cast a shadow on the image of God. Now, instead of the image of God being cast on the image of man, the devil takes broken men and casts the image of broken men onto the image of God. And when we swallow that emotional bait... We've got to come to the place of repentance where we recognize that and recognize that God is not at fault and God isn't like that and God never said yes to any of that garbage. And when we restore the honor and the dignity and the image back to our Father that is really His and we repent for the wrong judgment, we are set free from the wrong curses. Amen. Absolutely. And so step one is always to restore the image of God in your soul. Step two 
is to restore the word of God in your mouth. You see, when you have the right image of God, then you won't have a problem agreeing with what comes out of God's mouth. When you see God as he is, when you see God as credible, when you see God as faithful, when you see God as the one who will stand up and deliver you in the middle of your difficulties, when you see God as the one who will protect you, when you see God as the one who will die for you and raise from the dead and live for you and fight for you and wait for you, when you see God like that, it is easy to take the words that are in God's mouth and put them in your mouth. And that's the beginning of step two, the healing of a double-minded soul. Because when we restore the image of God, we've allowed the mind of our reason and the mind of our emotions to start coming together. And as we're looking in the mirror of his word, the mirror that reflects his glory, and we take the words of God and we put them in our mouth and we start to meditate on them the way I've taught you for the last two weeks, the biblical definition of meditation you see, when we do that, the mind of the intellect informs the mind of the emotions. The mind of the intellect affirms the mind of the emotions. The mind of the intellect prepares the mind of the emotions. Even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, even if that horrendous thing should happen, I will fear no evil. Come on, soul, I'm preparing you because the enemy might pull out a slingshot on your blind side. And even if you get hit in the back of the head, I will fear no evil because at the end of the day, my father will take care of my enemies and he will set a banquet table for me in front of every one of them. The mind of the intellect prepares the mind of the emotions. When we start to meditate on the word of God, the mind of the intellect assures the mind of the emotions until finally... The mind of the emotions jump on board and they come into agreement with the mind of the intellect. You see, when you meditate, when you take the word of God and repeat it to yourself and put your name in it and you get excited and you get stirred up and you get emotional, it's no longer just a superficial thing. It's not just mental assent. Your emotions will always imprint deeper than your logic will. That's why wounds, scars, traumas don't go away by just talking a little bit of common sense to them. Hello, are you with me? No, but when you take the word of God and you start to get excited about it, you believe it to the point where your hands are even doing the talking. That's what I love about Italians. You know why Italians are passionate? You know why they, they talk with their hands? Because they're passionate. The more your emotions get involved, every part of you starts to get involved. How many of you have ever noticed that when I'm excited, even my eyes start preaching? Uh-huh. Everything about me starts preaching. You see, when your emotions come on board, it's healing in the soul. Your emotions are now agreeing with the mind of intellect. Step three. Step three isn't something you do. Step three is something God does. 
the double-minded soul is being stitched back together again. When you take verses that speak to the area of your trauma, when you take verses that speak to the area of your wounds, when you speak, take verses that speak to the area of your rejection, your fear, your lust, your lying, whatever it is, and you take scriptures and you start to meditate on those scriptures and put your name in those scriptures and you speak it over yourself. You are looking into the mirror of God's word. You are seeing the glory and the greatness of God. And as you come into agreement with your mouth by putting his words in your mouth, listen, you agree with somebody when you're repeating what they say. And when we're repeating what God says, we have first of all restored the image of God in our soul, now we are agreeing and taking the words of God and putting them in our mouth and the spirit of the glory of God will start transforming us from glory, one state of God being to another state of God's character and he will transform us from strength to strength, from glory to glory, from greatness to greaterness, hallelujah. Step three, God does, and he does it automatically. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's healing, deliverance. Where the spirit of the Lord is, the spirit of the Lord, as we behold the glory of God, through thought and emotion and through confession of his word, the Spirit of God starts to transform us into the fullness of the healed image we're meant to be. You see, here's, here's the great caveat. The first Adam could lose the image and lost it for all of humanity because he was the title holder of that image. We have gained something. We have gained more than the first Adam lost. Because this last Adam, he holds the title. He holds the heavyweight title. He is the champion of the universe. And everyone who has been born again into him, <laughs> if I lose my grip of the image of God and I falter and I fall and then I repent and reinstate the beauty and the image of who God is back into my soul I come right back under the title that Jesus is holding I don't lose the title he's the title holder he's the heavyweight champion of the universe Amen. Amen. You see, this is why, and I'm going to close with this here. Uh, this is why uh, David, when, uh, when, when David was restoring the image of God in the mind of his intellect and in the mind of his emotions, when David could be heard saying, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. For he leads me 
and causes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me along the side of still waters. When David was heard restoring the image of God in his heart, he himself was being transformed into a lion chaser and a bear wrestler and a giant stomper. Hallelujah! When we behold the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord will take hold of us. When David restored the image of God in his heart, God restored David back into the plot. God wants to restore you back into the plot. Stand with me. When the picture of God and our intellect and our emotions lines up with the picture in the Word, and when the words of God in the book, or rather I should say when the words of our heart, mouth line up with the words of God in the book, the glory of the Lord starts to work in all of those areas of our life. And he starts healing and mending and knitting. You see, if there's one thing the devil wants you to do is to have a negative image of God. And he will use men in your life to damage that image. He will use women in your life to damage that image. He will use others who carry on them an invisible principle to be reflectors of the image of God. And he takes broken people to break us. So it casts a shadow of a broken person onto the image of God. And when we understand the strategy, when we understand the tactic, when we understand how diabolical and devilish it is, when we repent for having believed the lie about the only one who is pure and true and good, when we reinstate the image of God, to the image of perfection and the image of trustworthiness. The Spirit of God starts knitting, stitching, stitching, stitching. When we come to that place where His image is restored, we're confident then to take His Word and stick it in our mouth. And we start eating the Word of God. Jesus said, here's my flesh. He was the word. He said, eat it. <laughs> when the image of the Father is restored to that image of beauty and trustworthiness, then we can wholeheartedly... <laughs> we can wholeheartedly devour his word and let his words that are in his mouth be the words in our mouth. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. What? 
God has created me and recreated me in the image of who He is. If He bought me with the blood of His Son, why would He possess me with a spirit of a devil? No! God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. He has given me a spirit of power. He has given me a spirit of confidence. He has given me the spirit of an overcomer. He has given me the spirit of a warrior. God hasn't given me the spirit of fear. Oh, what if I fail? What if I fall? What if I sin? No! He has given me the spirit to overcome every battle and every temptation of the evil one. God hasn't given me the spirit of fear. He's given me the spirit of power and of love. He accepts me, not based on my performance. He accepted me when I was a full-fledged sinner. I didn't do anything to earn his love the first time. He has just given me the spirit of love. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. You might think I'm crazy, but I'm the only one in the room who isn't. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. No! Oh, I, I feel so anxious. No! If God is for me, who can stand against me? That'll give you a sound mind. That'll give you stability. That'll give you assurance. Nothing will heal the double-mindedness of a broken soul. Like restoring the image of who God is and then taking his words and put them in your mouth and dance under the sound of his words. I believe I am who he says I am. You know when depression starts in my life? It starts when I believe I am who the devil says I am. You know when depression starts in my life? When I start to believe I am who that person says I am. You know when anxiety starts to work in my life? When I believe what my father said about me. When I believe what my mother said about me. But when I believe what God says about me. I can sing, I can say, I can shout, I can dance, I can rap, I can rhyme. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. But of power and of love and a sound mind. Hallelujah. I can do it. I can do it. Because he lives in me. I can do it. I can do it. He didn't give me the spirit of a defeatist. He gave me the spirit of a champion. You know who that is? Jesus Christ. The champion of champions lives in me. Don't lie to me, you filthy devil. 
God didn't possess me. He bought me with the blood of his son and possessed me with a spirit of fear. You're ridiculous. No, you want me to believe that because the truth is I'm possessed with the spirit of a champion, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody and say, isn't he telling the truth? That's ex- now, turn to somebody else and say, that's exactly who I am. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Get into the Word. It's the mirror of God's glory. God says that as you look into the glory of who He is in that mirror, and you see and allow yourself to believe the image of God to the point where you even say what that God says, the very Spirit of God starts to twirl and whirl around you and in you. And you will miraculously, supernaturally be transformed from one state of being good to a better state of being good. To one state of being great to a greater state of being great. Hallelujah. Everyone repeat after me. God made Jesus Christ who is the mirror image of God who knew no sin to be the sinner and he crucified him on the cross so that me who was the sinner is no longer the sinner but I have become through Jesus Christ the righteousness of God. Everything that is righteous about God now lives in me. And I'm going to speak it into life because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now can you see why 2 Corinthians chapter 3 15 to 18 was so important. Amen. These are powerful keys. What do you think, Dr. Paul? Powerful, isn't it? Listen, the devil wants you to stay at the point where you don't know who you are. Because if you get past the point of not knowing who you are, you'll start to act like and live like who God made you to be. He wants to fill the church, too much of the church. People complain, you preach too long, Pastor Rob. You know what my answer is? It's because I have twice as many good things to say as other preachers. For the same amount of tithes you give for a 60-minute sermon, you get 10 times more. 
I will take you deeper and wider because of the gift of God that's on me and because I'm not motivated by numbers, I'm motivated by being a person of integrity before my Father. Amen. That's the truth. Call me arrogant. I don't care. I'm the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You won't just get this kind of teaching down the street. In fact, you often won't even get teaching this deep and this relative, even sometimes on, on the TV. Now listen, the Word is the answer. I'm just a messenger of the Word. But I will say, I'm a decent messenger of the Word. I remember two sermons ago, I said, everyone, look at me, look at me, look at me. Please, look at me. I know I'm not the most handsome thing you'll see all day. I said that two weeks ago. I said, I don't want you to just hear a sermon. Please understand the biblical definition of meditation. is to put the word of God in your mouth and sing it about yourself. Say it. Shower yourself with those words. Preach to your soul. And I'm going to say the same now as we close. Don't go home and say, man, that was an awesome sermon. Go home, listen to it again. Take notes, take notes, take notes and start practicing this because I'm telling you, this one revelation by itself is enough to transform your whole life. It is. How many verses of God's word do you need to get you out of a mess? You only need one. All Jesus had to do for the centurion was say, servant be healed. Amen. Every eye closed. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and you want to, it starts with letting Jesus Christ come into your heart. I'm not going to beg you because if I have to beg you, you don't understand yet. You haven't seen it yet. I pray you do. Whether you're watching online or you're here in this room, you're ready to get your heart right with Jesus again. You're ready to restore the image of God in your soul. Come on, raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, I want to do that. Come on, wherever you are, don't hide. Come on, God wants to restore the image of who you are. And the best way to do that is to let the image of God be restored in your heart. For those of you that are in your living room and you're raising your hand, I want you to stay on because I'm going to talk to you in just a moment about asking Jesus in your heart, and I want you to contact us. To everyone in this room, decide. Decide. I'm not going to let the devil tear down the image I have of God. And when I don't let him do that, I'm closing the door on the devil, messing up the image of my destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I want you to go and take this sermon and start putting it into practice. It's useless if you only hear it, but it's incredible if you do it. God bless you. Have an awesome week.